I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hello, this is constitutional attorney Catherine Henry. Welcome to this episode of Restore Freedom Weekly with Catherine Henry. Each week, I'm going to start us off with a Bible passage that'll help give us God's word on how we should move forward in this fight for freedom. I will then give us three resources to check out to use as tools in the fight for freedom. I'll provide you with a challenge or a specific way to get involved with grassroots efforts. I will then give you a legal update. And then we'll go into a full in-depth discussion of a constitutional segment, starting with the US Constitution and including the Michigan and sometimes Florida state constitutions. Thank you for joining us on Restore Freedom Weekly with Katherine Henry. Hello everyone. Uh, you'll have to forgive me, I'm uh, brand new at trying to figure out uh, how to do this as more of a show uh, and providing information on a uh, regular rhythmic um, system uh, rather than uh, just going live to you on some sort of legal or constitutional update. Uh, so with that in mind, um, since this is the second week of this weekly show and uh, the first week of having any kind of show intro, I noticed that most of you were not on board and watching yet when uh, my favorite part of our new show intro was being played. So hang in there uh, with me if you uh, caught some of that. I'm going to play that one minute and 20 second clip one more time again because there is a favorite part I have in there and uh, you guys will hear it in just a second and know exactly what I'm talking about and then we'll we'll get started with the rest of the show. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, guys, um, that was the, uh, just the beginning of our weekly intro. My favorite part, most of you know who that was, but for those of you who are new to me, uh, you may not know, so I will let you know that that is uh, my seven-year-old daughter, Emma, who will actually be turning eight in three days. So uh, she's pretty excited about that, but uh, she's also excited about her freedom. And uh, I think a lot of us are. We just need a little bit of extra guidance and knowledge and know-how in order to uh, keep that freedom fight going. So... Um, <clears throat> Today, I wanted to start us off with, uh, I'm kind of cheating. There are three, uh, four uh, short Bible passages that I think work together and talk about, um, we'll go uh, straight to the heart of what we're doing these days in this fight for freedom. Deuteronomy 16, 18. Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town 
the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Judge the people fairly. Deuteronomy 16, 19, the first half of that is pretty simple and just states, do not pervert justice or show partiality. Something that unfortunately we're seeing far too often these days. And Deuteronomy 16, 20, follow justice and justice alone so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you. And finally today, Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. It's pretty simple and short, but that's, that about says it all. We must obey God rather than men. Where the government, where men uh, or humankind is putting into place restrictions or rules or regulations uh, mandates that go against what God wants for us. We are not to follow those. Instead, we are to follow the path that God has laid out for us. With that in mind, uh, there are three resources I want you to check out this week that all um, are from the same main source, but each are um, their own specific things. So uh, with that being said, let me jump over here to the um, screen share version. All right, hopefully you guys can see that. So uh, we're going to fda.gov today and the specific links I want you to focus on are actually in the description um, of this video. So um, hopefully uh, I didn't screw any of that up. I was just thinking for a second, we redid the, the intro and the beginning of this episode a few times. So hopefully it's all still in the description. Um, so first thing I want to bring you to is um, one piece uh, on the FDA website. It's, it's answering common questions, and um, it's, it's the question, what does the CDC do when someone wants to exempt out of vaccinations? So what's funny is that the very first sentence says, enacting and enforcing immunization laws and regulations are the responsibility of state governments. Uh, later on in the um, sentence right here, if you could see my little tiny screen share, hopefully that's working. State public health laws and regulations are enacted pursuant to the provisions of individual state constitutions. Hmm. It's interesting. Um, so... <laughs> It then goes on to um, explain that the, um, um, you know, many states have all these immunization requirements and um, states, um, all states allow for medical exemptions for immunization, 48 states permit, permit religious exemptions, 15 permit philosophical exemptions, 
uh, funny thing is uh, we shouldn't have to, there should be no regulation that we need to have this religious exemption in the first place. But when there is something of that nature on the books, uh, the exemption should be something, a religious exemption should apply in every single state across the board. What state would then have the authority to not allow a religious exemption when we have the freedom to practice uh, our religion guaranteed to us in the Constitution? Anyway, uh, getting too much into detail, I suppose, on that. But uh, the first link I have for you is uh, the link to vaccine adverse events. And this is on the FDA's website. So it goes over um, general information. It goes into the... Um, vaccine um, adverse event reporting system overview, the a brochure on that, um, how to report a vaccine adverse uh, event, questions and answers, uh, understanding the system, all kinds of information just on that. And uh, that alone could be quite overwhelming, but I at least wanted to give you that information to start with. The second uh, tool or resource I wanted to provide you was on the FDA's website talking about the common ingredients in U.S. licensed vaccines. Uh, right up front, it talks about that aluminum is a common uh, element or common ingredient in U.S. licensed vaccines. Um, it then talks about, um, uh, let's see, which one did I want to highlight here. Um, let's see, formaldehyde is common in U.S. licensed vaccines, ones that we are supposed to be giving to our children and ones that we're supposed to be having ourselves as adults. Um, they have preserves, they have sugars, amino acids, and proteins. And then what's interesting is that it, it talks about fetal calf or bovine serum in vaccines. Let's think about that. What they're saying is most of these, or at least a good chunk of these vaccines are made with animal DNA. They're saying we should inject ourselves with animal DNA. So what's interesting about that is that if you look at vaccine inserts, the manufacturer's insert that they put together and provide, not some conspiracy theorist, not Fox News, not, you know, somebody's blog, uh, legitimate source because, well, that's the company who created the vaccine. If you look at those, uh, and I actually use them as uh, exhibits or part of my appendix in a fairly recent Michigan Supreme Court filing, I did actually right before our governor decided she was going to shut down uh, Michigan and violate the Constitution in 17 different ways in the first five minutes of uh, the pandemic reaching uh, issue in Michigan. But um, at any rate, uh, I don't know if you could see on my screen, but uh, I can't point to it. You guys can't see me pointing to it, but uh, hopefully... You can see my mouse moving on the uh, right side here. You'll see received by Michigan Supreme Court 228, 2020 at 3.44 p.m. Uh, so this is information that's public record anyway, but it's um, specifically public record in the context of being filed in a Michigan Supreme Court case. Um, so what's interesting is that 
uh, I put together in the context of that specific case, um, a variety of, of these most common required uh, childhood or adult vaccines. And they're um, manufacturers inserts that talk about uh, the um, carcinogenic effects, uh, mutagenic effects, impairment of fertility. So you'll see this one says long-term studies in animals, in animals, not even in humans, long-term studies in animals to evaluate carcinogenic potential or impairment of fertility have not been conducted. Wait a second. So you, you're trying to give me this vaccine when you have never studied on any being, let alone a human being, the potential to give me cancer? the potential to mutate my genes, my very DNA that makes me who I am, or the um, <clears throat> impairment that having this vaccine might have on my ability to have children? What? You didn't even study that? You didn't even try? Um, <clears throat> you'll see that... Uh, this is another one. Rototech has not been evaluated for its carcinogenic or mutagenic potential or its potential to impair fertility. Uh, Prevnar 13 has not been evaluated for the potential to cause carcinogenicity, genotoxicity, or impairment of male fertility. What they do share is that in the study of rabbits, no vaccine-related effects were found regarding reproductive performance, including female fertility in rabbits. That's great. I want to bank my ability to have children or my children's ability to have children on what you studied in some rabbits. The, um, let's see here. ProQuad has not been evaluated for its carcinogenic, mutagenic, teratogenic potential or its potential to impair fertility. That is with the um, um, MMR uh, vaccine. And Kinrix, I think this is, yes, this is poliovirus, um, has not been evaluated for carcinogenic or mutagenic potential or for the impairment of fertility. Are you seeing the pattern here, guys? Uh, Flucelvax, quadrivalent, I can't, I can't even pronounce these, has not been evaluated for carcinogenic or mutagenic potential or the impairment or for the impairment of male fertility in animals. <laughs> Great stuff. Um, ACT HIV vaccine not been evaluated for cancer causing or DNA mutating potential. Uh, not at all. Uh, the MMR2 has not been evaluated. The uh, twin ricks, uh, this is for the uh, for uh, hep A and, and hep B, uh, they have not been evaluated for the carcinogenic or mutagenic potential or for impairment of male fertility in animals. This one, however, you should feel totally comfortable and confident in the fact that the vaccination of female rats with twin ricks has had no effect on fertility. If you want to bank your health and the health and uh, permanent health of your children on uh, the study of female rats. Um, let's see. Um, also, you know, for those, an important thing um, that uh, I want to share with you 
is that with these vaccines, whether we're talking about a COVID-19 vaccine or any kind of other vaccine, you have to look at a lot of the other information on there, such as um, transmission of the vaccine virus strains from vaccinees to non-vaccinated contacts has been observed post-marketing. What does that mean? Well, if you get the vaccine and you're in contact with somebody else who has not had the vaccine, you're going to transmit that. You are going to shed the virus to that person and make them sick. Did you guys hear that? Caution is advised when considering whether to administer Rotatech, indi Rotatech to ind individuals with immunodeficient close contacts close contacts. It's not just saying the people uh, themselves, like if your child is immunocompromised, you definitely need to think twice before giving them any kind of vaccine. This is saying caution is advised when considering whether to give the vaccine, a particular vaccine or pretty much any of these vaccines to someone who has close contact with someone who is immunocompromised because you will shed the virus and potentially harm them. That has actually been seen. They have actually seen that happen and recorded that enough times that the manufacturers themselves had decided to put that right into their vaccine manufacturer inserts. The package that, you know, when they're pulling out the, the information, the vial with, with the actual vaccine in it, and they're about to inject it in you, that's the insert that comes in the packaging there. This isn't the little cute uh, colored handout they give you as a parent that's one or two pages long and they say, here, you know, look this over real quick and we're going to shoot your kid up with this stuff. It's good for you. Uh, no, this is directly from the manufacturer. And they're saying, whoa, if you have close contact with a person who is immunocompromised, do not get this vaccine because you will shed it and it will harm them. Um, yeah, I could go on and on. Um, do not get the MMR2 vaccine if you or your child have an, a weakened immune system, you're allergic to any of the ingredients, um, you are pregnant or plan to get pregnant, because all of these things say there is inherent danger here. So let's not focus so much on, you know, the, um, well, this is for the greater good. How is it for the greater good to ask people to inject themselves with an experimental gene therapy that will then turn around and shed onto other people and make them sick? How is that good for anyone? I, I don't know. Um, then the third uh, resource I want to provide you, that was my lead-in, is vaccines licensed for use in the United States. That link will take you to this page, which shows the vaccines um, and then shows the trade name. And then um, if you click on that, this COVID-19 vaccine mRNA, have you guys heard of that one? Uh, it'll open up um, for each one. I mean, there's the diphtheria, there's the um, anthrax, there's HPV, the flu, um, all the various flu vaccines. Um, there's um, 
MMR, mumps, measles, rubella, polio, um, rabies, tetanus, whatever, right? All of these, um, any of them that are licensed in the US, the information is right here on the FDA's website. And this particular one, the COVID-19 vaccine mRNA, opens this document here. Um, let me scroll to the top. Oh, and did I lose my note? That would be sad if I did. Oh, I guess I did. Huh. Um, oh, nope. Give me a second. Here it is. Okay. So a um, couple things I want to point out to you here. Let me see if I can, if it'll make this bigger, slightly bigger anyway. Um, let me see. Make this a bit wider, see if that helps. No, it's not helping. Okay. Sorry, guys. I was going to try to make that uh, more readable. But um, so in here, you can see um, this is like the table of contents. And anytime you look at one of these, most of them will look the same or they'll look very similar. This one says full prescribing information contents. And then they're numbered. Uh, I don't know who came up with this numbering system, but most of them use the same numbering system. And you'll see some numbers are skipped. So it goes 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and then it goes to 8 and jumps to 11, 12, 13, 14, and then jumps to 16, 17. Okay. Um, so this will show you what kind of information. So, for example, um, number four, contradiction, contraindications, meaning don't take this vaccine if you have any of these conditions. Um, number five, warnings and precautions. Number six, adverse reactions. Um, 13 is the non-clinical toxicology. That's the super important one. I was just kind of focusing on with those others. Um, so let's look here. Okay. Contraindications. Do not administer this COVID-19 vaccine to individuals with a known history of severe allergic reaction to any component because it will cause anaphylaxis. Okay, that's common sense, but yet they don't stop to think that you might actually be allergic to a component of the vaccine. Nope, it's just vaccine mandate. You got to have it. Um, then the warnings and precautions part, um, you have to... Um, make appropriate medical treatment available to manage immediate allergic reactions um, because it does happen. Uh, they're also noting that post-marketing data demonstrate increased risk of myocarditis and pericarditis, particularly within seven days following the second dose. This, uh, the observed risk is higher among males under 40 years of age than among females and older males. The observed risk is highest in males 12 through 17 years of age, although some cases required intensive care support. I'm not even going to bother reading the rest of this. Let's just focus on the fact that they are putting right here, the manufacturer puts right here in the, in the vaccine insert that this COVID-19 vaccine causes the myocarditis and the uh, pericarditis within seven days following the second dose. That's when it's most commonly no noticed. And the biggest risk group is your sons 
or grandsons or nephews that are 12 through 17 years of age. I don't know about you, but I have a child. I have a son who just barely is 18. So he's just barely out of this uh, window of observed highest risk for getting these conditions and may potentially be required intensive care support to try to recover uh, or deal with the issues caused from taking this vaccine. Um, you will have potentially altered immunocompetence. Um, immunocompromised persons, including individuals receiving the immunosuppressant therapies, may have a diminished immune response. Um, limit and, and diminished immune response to the drug, to the drug. So what they're saying is, yes, this is a vaccine with the um, virus in it, and you will have an issue, your body will have an issue absorbing it or, or handling it as it's designed if you are already immunocompromised. Yet they're trying to get the people that are immunocompromised and sick out there taking this faster than anybody else. They're targeting those populations to get the vaccine. And those are the people that are the most at risk for serious health complications because of this vaccine. Uh, it also says it won't protect all vaccine recipients. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, then it goes into a lot of information on the uh, adverse reactions. There's um, some stuff in here, particularly I want to focus on page 14. Um, let's see, what was I going to, um, got to find what I was trying to show. Oh, the unsolicited adverse events. So um, in addition to all those other adverse events that they specifically identified above, uh, then you'll see um, that uh, they saw uh, adverse event reactions not captured by solicited local and systematic reactions. Uh, the things they thought to expect is what they're saying. There's additionally um, nausea uh, in far more cases of the vaccine than with the placebo. Malaise, uh, lympho <laughs> lymphadenopathy, I'm so not pronouncing these correctly, uh, asthenia, decreased appetite, hyperhidrosis, lethargy, night sweats. This is what the vaccine manufacturer is wanting you to know, um, is telling you they have seen this. Um, Bell's palsy, facial paralysis is also something they have seen. Um, I'm just trying to scroll through here real quick and give you some of the, um, there's been other neurolo neurologic or neuroinflammatory um, events that uh, is has been an issue uh, with taking this COVID vaccine. Um, and then they have serious adverse events um, that are um, identified later on here. So, um, Let's see. Um, cardiac disorders, gastrointestinal disorders, immune system disorders, musculoskeletal and connective tissue disorders. So there you go. Um, 
Another thing that I wanted to uh, point out is, let's see, 8.2. Okay, so they have, uh, they only studied this information, uh, the vaccine information for pregnant women through rats. Yes, you heard me correctly. It, they are trying to push this on pregnant women to take this vaccine. Uh, mind you, a lot of OBs have experienced, I've had OBs approach me personally uh, from the beginning of this vac these vaccines being pushed saying, this is terrible. I'm seeing uh, healthy pregnancies that these women are having. They go and get the vaccine and then there is a, what's medically called a spontaneous abortion. It's a miscarriage. They are losing these babies as a direct result of, re of receiving these vaccines. But the vaccine you know, manufacturers and CDC and the FDA and everybody else, they're not going to tell you that because, well, there's no study that proves that because they haven't done the freaking studies. They're experimenting on pregnant women and on those unborn children. And uh, in fact, the only testing that they've done re uh, related to any of this was with female rats. Well, I don't know about you, but the minimal testing they have done on a few rats uh, to see if it affects your, your pregnancy, I don't find comfort in that at all, not in the slightest. Um, it also, uh, they make a point to say that it is not known whether the uh, COVID vaccines are excreted in human milk. So uh, there's no way, there's no data available to assess the effects on uh, the uh, breastfed infant or on milk production. So um, you might, basically what they're saying is you need to, uh, the developmental and health benefits of breastfeeding should be considered along with the mother's need to have this vaccine. They're saying you might really not need to, you, you wouldn't want to do both. You wouldn't want to get the vaccine while breastfeeding, basically. This could really harm your baby. We haven't studied it, um, but you know, you as a mom, you really need this. So maybe you just should pass up on breastfeeding, get the vaccine, give your kids some formula and call it good. That's literally 8.2. Read that risk summary. You can see it for yourself. Um, the safety and effectiveness of the vaccines in children or individuals younger than 16 have not been established at all. They haven't proven this is safe for the children, but they're going to give it to the children. Great times, isn't it? Um, and then the, uh, the one that is, oh, look at this. It looks pretty darn similar to the ones I was showing you on all those other vaccines, childhood required mandated vaccines that this COVID vaccine has not been evaluated for the potential to cause carcinogenicity, genotoxicity, or impairment of male fertility. And in fact, for female fertility, they have only studied it in female rats. Okay, so they have not studied this COVID vaccine for the potential to cause cancer, for the potential to uh, mutate your genes, your DNA, to ch physically change you as a person or to uh, impair uh, male infertility. They haven't studied that at all. But yeah, this is safe. Go for it. I don't know about you, but I don't want to sign up for that. Okay. 
So I'm going to um, next give you uh, the challenge for the week, the, the grassroots efforts idea or possibility or um, a task that you could be doing this week uh, to get involved with the grassroots efforts on this fight for freedom. And that is, and it's, this is something you should be doing on a regular basis, but most of us don't think we have time for it or think that we, you know, somebody else can do this. This is boring. This is not my cup of tea. I don't care if it's boring. I don't care if you think you have time for it. This is something, dabble in it, just do a little bit here and there, take five minutes here, five minutes there. Um, you know, all those times that you sit and play on your phone or you're looking on Facebook, that's one of the opportunities for you to do this. And that is to Google your municipality. Do you live in a city? Do you live in a township? Do you live in um, in Florida? There, there isn't really like the city township uh, dichotomy so much as the city or out in the county. Um, so if you're not in city limits, it's basically just the county that um, is the municipality that you look towards. So um, I want you to look up where you are and you could start with a quick Google search. In fact, I will, let's see if this will work. I'm going to um, go over here and show you the, I'm going to close some of these. Um, okay, so I'm just going to go to a Google search. All right, and I'm going to type in um, Ormond Beach, Florida. And lo and behold, the very first one is the official ormondbeach.org, the city of Ormond Beach official website. So you can click on that. A lot of you have already done this, but many of you have not. Uh, you should be able to find for you your municipality, your charter. It's got to be here somewhere. Um, this one, um, your government. Let's see. Uh, this one has your codes and your legislation. Um, some, some communities don't specifically have a charter per se in Michigan. Uh, you should. If you don't, then um, that's going to be chapter 41 of the MCL. Unless you're a charter township, that's going to be chapter 42. Uh, with chapter 41, that's going to literally lay out what your charter township is. Um, what the, the main charter is, what the rules and regulations are. Um, but you should be able to see your, um, on here, your um, ordinances. So this has code of ordinances right here. It's gonna take me to a totally different site. Usually it does. Um, this Municode is one of the most common. You can see what's changed. You can browse the table of contents. There are adopted ordinances that have not yet been codified like plugged right into uh, the main body of law. You can browse them. You can look through land development. Um, you can um, look at your table of contents for ordinances. Um, anyway, there's a lot that you can do and look at in here. Uh, so this is my challenge to you. So if you are wondering uh, what kind of rules are there on putting a fence up in your uh, community, there you go. That's where you need to look. Uh, if you're looking up, you know, is there a, a regulation against having chickens in your backyard or 
um, having a farm operation on your property or, um, you know, whether you can park a boat in your front driveway, believe it or not, um, all kinds of things. That is where those kinds of things would be. Um, then I want you to look up the, um, uh, your, um, committees or boards. So, um, here, let's see. Um, oh, government, uh, this one has boards and committees and it lists them all right here. So there's aviation advisory board, board of adjustment and appeals, brownfield advisory board, budget advisory board, citizens law enforcement advisory board, general employees pension, historic landmark preservation, human resources, uh, neighborhood improvement, planning, all kinds of stuff. Okay. So, um, make sure that you are uh, taking a look at what boards or committees even exist for your municipality. Uh, meetings. Uh, you can go to like this one about our meetings. You can go to agendas, minutes, and meeting recordings. So you can go back and watch prior meetings. Uh, I'm going to click on about our meetings. I haven't done this. It tells you when and where and what time. It gives you the full schedule. Uh, the agendas and copy of all meeting documents are available online. Excellent. Your municipality should be doing that. If they're not, then you need to contact them and uh, demand that they do that. Um, my constitutional amendment that the Restore Freedom Constitutional Amendment we were pursuing in 2020 was going to require municipalities to put those very documents on their website uh, with plenty of notice to people that um, are in their community. Um, it gives you information on um, special meetings and things of that nature. Um, I'm going to go back. Let's see. Um, I'm going to click on the uh, agendas, meetings, and minutes. So right here, this municipality has uh, the co city commission meeting agenda packets, the meeting agenda portal to get any kind of other information, their past meeting minutes and action reports. You can listen to uh, recent meetings. And uh, they say here, every effort is made to post recordings within 24 hours after the meeting concludes. Uh, so some municipalities, especially in Michigan, are still trying to utilize Zoom or holding meetings by Zoom or at least doubling up by having Zoom. So make sure that you're aware of those opportunities as well. Um, uh, same thing would hold true for the, some of the committee meetings at the state legislature level as well, because those are going to be a little bit harder for you to get to. Usually most people don't live right at your state capitol, but you would like to... Uh, be able to hear what the legislature is thinking, what they're really doing about certain issues that are important to you. Um, like I said, your the meeting minutes, uh, you should look and uh, see who your um, officers are. This right here shows who the city commission members are. It gives a link that you can click on each of these five people. Um, it says what their duties are. Um, it gives their contact information on the side. I don't see here if it says anything about who is on different boards. It, it possibly does. But um, anyway, that's that's my challenge to you. Google your municipality. Uh, go to their official website. Look for a charter. If you're in Michigan, there should be one. Uh, the ordinances. You should look to uh, what committees or boards they have. Their meetings. 
know when and where they take place, if they're available uh, live online or just in person. The Look for meeting minutes, agenda packets, uh, things of that nature. Look at who the city officials or township officials um, are in your municipality. So moving on, I wanted to provide you your legal update. Uh, most of you by now are aware that there is a lawsuit that was heard, uh, oral arguments that were heard recently in the, in the U.S. Supreme Court regarding the mandatory vaccinations. I wanted to give you a brief update on that. Uh, so with that being said, I'm going to click over here. Give me a second, guys. Um, okay. So you will see uh, that I'm on the supremecourt.gov website, and this is uh, the case of National Federation of Independent Business, uh, et al. means with others, and uh, that's they sued the Department of Labor, OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and others. The lower court in this matter was the United States Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit, and it says there are three lower case, uh, lower court case numbers that are involved here. Uh, this was docketed just less than a month ago, December 20th. That means brought to the U.S. Supreme Court. And um, what it says is uh, that um, on December 22nd, it says... Uh, which is my anniversary, by the way, uh, it says that the consideration of applications for stay, meaning the uh, the people, the parties that lost at the Court of Appeals level, they went uh, up to the Supreme Court. They asked for the Supreme Court to put pause, to push the pause button on whatever it is that the lower court has done. Uh, so their application for stay, their request to hit the pause button, was presented to Justice Kavanaugh and that he referred it to the court uh, and essentially that the decision on that stay is deferred or um, held off pending oral argument. And uh, it says that the applications were consolidated into one oral argument, a total of one hour was allotted for the oral argument time and that that oral argument was held this last Friday on January 7th. If you scroll down, you can see everything that has been done since then. You can see all these um, <clears throat> motions and briefs uh, submitted by various um, amicus parties. And if you keep scrolling, you'll see that the very last entry was that the case was argued on January 7th, and it shows which attorneys were arguing, <clears throat> excuse me, which attorneys argued for the various parties. Uh, that's it. There's been no other update. There's been no decision. So my update for you is that there is no update just yet, but I will certainly go into a, uh, a video to discuss uh, what's going on with that case uh, as soon as I find out. Uh, and then the last main thing of the day, man, I'm going to have to go through this extremely quick. I'm trying to keep my videos much shorter than they have been in the past. So bear with me because I always have a ton of information that I want to share with you. So um, 
All right, here we go. This is the constitutional segment. Uh, in last week's uh, show, I gave you uh, the preamble of the U.S., Michigan, and state constitutions, and that was a small little snippet that we could focus on. And then I also then provided you an in-depth discussion of constitutionality of a recent Michigan Supreme Court case. This time, um, I'm not giving you one little snippet of the Constitution. I'm going to focus on the overarching themes related to the case that we just kind of went over that brief uh, update on the status of, which is all regarding the uh, constitutionality of uh, vaccine mandates. And some of you have already seen my uh, video, Charlie uh, LinkedIn had me on Fox 2 Detroit this past Sunday, asked me to debate the issue of whether the government can mandate vaccines. And of course, that is a small segment. I think the video clip from that is about 13 minutes long. And uh, there's two of us debating, plus Charlie asking questions, and there's a commercial break in between. So obviously, uh, that doesn't provide you the most in-depth coverage of that issue. You might have... Uh, had the chance to listen to the oral arguments that were presented in the Supreme Court. I actually did not listen to those at this point in time, but I'm confident we can handle this ourselves. So I want to start by saying that uh, Justice Zara, and this is on the Michigan Supreme Court, said in a June 4th, 2020 dissent, where the Supreme Court turned down taking the immediate request of the legislature to hear the, their lawsuit against the governor for issuing her executive orders. Uh, in that dissent, he said, each resident's personal liberty is at stake. Justice Viviano also points out in his June 4th, 2020 dissent, that it is indisputable that the executive orders impinge on the constitutional liberties of our citizens. It is indisputable that executive branch orders impinge on the constitutional liberties of our citizens. Those are not my words. Those are the words of two current Michigan Supreme Court justices. And boy, did they get that correct. So here's what I want to start with, okay? Um, I'm going to keep it simple in terms of we have rights. You know that. Everybody knows that, right? We know we have rights, supposedly. Uh, no, but we have rights. And um, those rights are, well, they're to be exercised, right? How are we supposed to be able to exercise our rights? The attorney that I was debating against on uh, Sunday, he thinks that we have rights as a collective he said that it's we the people, not I the person. So we don't ever have individual liberties. We just have rights as a society together. Uh, I'm going to say, yeah, no, 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 that's definitely not correct. And he should probably go back and read the Constitution. But while you guys are digging into the Constitution with me, I want to point out a few things. So we have our rights that are to be exercised. Number one, undiminished. Well, where does it say that? It says that in the Michigan Constitution preamble, our rights are to be exercised undiminished. It also says that in the Michigan Constitution, Article 1, Section 4, and Article 4, excuse me, Article 5, Section 29. Our rights are to be exercised 
unrestrained. Michigan Constitution, Article 1, Section 5. Our rights are to be exercised unabridged. Michigan Constitution, Article 1, Section 5. U.S. Constitution, First Amendment. U.S. Constitution, 14th Amendment, Section 1 and Section 2. U.S. Constitution, 15th Amendment. Uh, U.S. Constitution, 19th Amendment, U.S. Constitution, 24th Amendment, U.S. Constitution, 26th Amendment. Wow, that is unabridged. Our rights are to be exercised unabridged. Uninfringed, our rights are to be exercised uninfringed as stated in the Michigan Constitution, Article 1, Section 17, and the Second Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Our rights are to be exercised unviolated. They are to be, they're not to be violated by the government. Michigan Constitution, Article 5, Section 8, and the U.S. Constitution, Fourth Amendment. Our rights are to be exercised um, in an undeniable way. The government is not to deny us the opportunity to exercise our rights. That is stated in uh, Michigan Constitution, Article 1. Section 2, Article 1, Section 23, U.S. Constitution, 9th Amendment, U.S. Constitution, 10th Amendment, Section, excuse me, 14th Amendment, Section 1, U.S. Constitution, 14th Amendment, Section 2, U.S. Constitution, 15th Amendment, U.S. Constitution, 19th Amendment, U.S. Constitution, forgot how to read Roman numerals. Give me a second here, guys. Uh, 24th Amendment and U.S. Constitution, 26th Amendment. I might want to translate away from Roman numerals, I guess. Our rights are to be exercised undeprived. Our rights are to be undeprived. The government is not to deprive us, any of us, of our rights. Uh, that is Constitution, Michigan Constitution, Article 1, Section 17, U.S. Constitution, Fifth Amendment, U.S. Constitution, 14th Amendment. The Declaration of Independence also tells us our rights are to be exercised, unabused, and unusurped. The government should not abuse its power and override our exercise of our rights. The government should not usurp its power and overrun the exercise of our individual liberties. So why is this? Don't we have to look to the Constitution for our, you know, what our freedom is? No, not in the slightest. We don't look to the Constitution or for the government for permission on being able to do certain things. All throughout the the uh, COVID-19 situation, right? All throughout this whole thing, I've had people emailing, calling, texting, sending messages through social media, which my social media doesn't really function anymore. So please don't <laughs> contact me that way. I won't see it. Uh, what is the biggest question I would have typically? Where in the law or where in the constitution does it say I have the right to earn a living, go to work, uh, practice my religion, uh, you know, keep going to school, keep my kids in public school, whatever the case is. Where does it say that, they would ask me. That is the biggest question I would be asked. And the problem is we should not 
allow ourselves to be trained that we have to look to the government to get permission to do the most basic of things. God gave us this liberty. The government did not give us liberty. The government does not give us permission to live or breathe or act or work. That's not what happens here. No, we get our rights from God, not the government. And for those of you who may be watching or listening and you are thinking, well, that's not true. There's a separation of church and state. Let me very briefly go through some of this. Let's back up to the Declaration of Independence where we began our formation uh, of this country as we know it today. It says that the people of the United States are each entitled to a separate and equal station by the laws of nature and of nature's God, capital G. We are all created equal, endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men to secure, to protect, to defend our God-given rights, government is created and put into place by men, by people. When the government is destructive of securing our rights, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it to change the government, to get rid of it if necessary, if it is overriding our God-given liberties. That's in the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration also says that when the government abuses our rights or usurps its authority, it is our right, it is our duty, our duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for our future security. And that doesn't mean future security in the sense of, uh, well, we need safety and security and for the government to tell us what to do and be our parent. No, it is the security, the protection of our liberty, of our undeniable rights. So if we then go to the U.S. Constitution preamble, we see that we, the people of the United States, in order to, among other things, secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, to ordain and establish this constitution. That we, the people of the state of Michigan, grateful to almighty God for the blessings of freedom and earnestly desiring to secure these blessings undiminished to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this constitution. That, of course, is in the Michigan Constitution preamble. And of course, the Ninth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution reminds us that the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage other rights retained by the people. Retained by the people, meaning the rights are given to us in some other fashion prior to the Constitution being established. We have rights as individuals. They are given to us by God. And we are protecting or securing those rights uh, through the Constitution, this framework the government must act um, through. And if we don't speci specify a certain right, it doesn't mean we don't have it. It doesn't mean the government's not required to protect that freedom. It's just that 
we didn't think we would have to spell out that particular liberty, but the government still must secure those liberties because we retain all the liberties, all the rights given to us by God. The Michigan Constitution, Article 1, Section 23, says literally the exact same thing as the U.S. Ninth Amendment. And then if we look to the Tenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution, it is often emphasized that the powers not delegated to the federal government are reserved to the states. No, 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 no. You got to read the whole sentence. The powers, and what it's really saying here, the powers not delegated to the federal government are reserved either to the states or to the people, to the people directly. We, the people, still have power, authority, and control as given to us by God. We just need to remember that. In fact, the Michigan State Constitution, Article 1, Section 1, starts right off by reminding us that all political power is inherent in the people. Not the government, not the governor, not the legislature, not the Supreme Court. In we, the people. And just two reminders, two little additions here, that our rights are given to us by God. Uh, the Michigan Constitution, Article 1, Section 4, reminds us that every person shall be at liberty to worship God according to the dictates of his own conscience. And in Article 8, Section 1, also that religion, morality, and knowledge are necessary to good government. Religion, morality, and knowledge are necessary to good government. So... What follows from that? Well, government has no authority except that which we, the people, gives it. So again, I mentioned earlier the Declaration of Independence that one people may dissolve the political bonds which have connected them with another, their government, and to assume uh, the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitled them. Declaration of Independence also tells us that to secure our inalienable rights, unalienable rights, <laughs> such as life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers, their just powers from the consent of the governed. Are you going to consent for the government to have power to tell you you have to inject yourself with experimental gene therapy that has not been studied for its carcinogenic effects, its mutagenic potential, its potential to, to change your DNA, for its potential to harm your ability to have children or have your children have children? Are you going to consent for the government to have that power? I don't consent to that. Again, the declaration tells us that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of securing our unalienable rights, it is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and to institute new government, laying down its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form. In fact, uh, when a long train of abuses and usurpations 
wait a second, that didn't just happen 200 years ago, that's happening now. A long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce the people under absolute despotism. It is our right, it is our duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for our future security. Necessity constrains them to alter their former systems of government. Necessity may constrain, may require the people to alter a system of government that they have always known and create a new one. Then in looking at the United States Constitution preamble, we see that it obviously was we, the people, that ordained and established this Constitution for the United States of America. And in Article 4, Section 4, we are guaranteed to every state a Republican form of government. Republican form. where we have representatives that go out and essentially do the daily tasks of government, but that we, the people, retain the ultimate authority. The U.S. Constitution in Article 6 tells us that the Constitution and the laws made in pursuance thereof, constitutional laws, are the supreme law of the land, and every single judge in every state is bound by the constitution and no nothing in a state constitution or uh the law of any state can be contrary to the u.s constitution we're also told in the same article article six of the u.s constitution that all state and federal senators representatives executive officers and judicial officers shall be bound by oath or affirmation to support the U.S. Constitution. And an often not uh, read or understood or known portion, the preamble to the Bill of Rights of the United States Constitution states, in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers, Further declaratory and restrictive clauses, restrictive clauses were added to the Constitution and as extending the ground of public confidence in the government will best ensure the beneficent ends of its institution. The government is only going to work well if we further limit its powers, its authority, and we did so by the Bill of Rights. The powers not delegated to the U.S. Constitution by the U.S. Constitution uh, to the United States or prohibited to it by the states are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. Of course, that is the Tenth Amendment. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of the citizens of the United States, that is the 14th Amendment. There shall be no state government 
governmental agency, governmental officer that is enforcing any kind of government mandate from the president or Congress that is unconstitutional, that abridges the privileges and immunities of United States citizens. And most constitutions of the states, including uh, the Michigan State Constitution, Article 11, Section 1, have something like this that requires all officers, all, legislative, executive, and judicial, before entering the duties of their office, shall take and subscribe to the following oath or affirmation. I do solemnly swear or affirm that I will support the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of this state. And in Michigan, there are many places in state law that apply that same constitutional oath to a variety of other people in, in other positions. But specifically, you can look to MCL 15.151 that makes it clear that any government employee or volunteer or anyone doing a job for the state or local governments in Michigan must take that same oath of office. That brings us to if the government only has the authority or the power that we have given it in the Constitution, then does the government have the authority to do these vaccine mandates? Well, we need to look at the Constitution itself, right? The U.S. Constitution tells us um, it tells us the story, right? We are often told, we have heard the phrase, um, you know, the public health, public safety, public welfare, you know, it's been said in many uh, Supreme Court opinions that, that the terminology and phrasing has been used all over the media for decades, right? The public health, safety, and welfare, we must do this for the public health, safety, and welfare. In fact, uh, Several of Michigan state laws, MCL 333.1111, subdivision two, talks about the health, safety, and welfare. Uh, MCL 10.81 uh, talks about the health, safety, and welfare of the people. MCL 333.201651F uh, talks about a patient's health, safety, or welfare. And MCL 333.201681 talks about health, safety, or welfare. So where in the Constitution does it allow the government to jump in and save the day and protect our health, safety, and welfare? The term welfare only appears in the U.S. Constitution twice. In the preamble to the U.S. Constitution, it just serves as a reminder that we established our Constitution and formed our government, among other reasons, to promote the general welfare, to promote. Look at that word in the dictionary. Does that mean that you can require something simply because you want to promote it? No, think of a promotion. Think of you have, you're in the marketing business and you, you own a business and you want to promote an event or a sale you have. Uh, you want to promote your newest, hottest item, a musical CD you just uh, released or uh, whatever, right? You just have, you have a new um, Make America Great uh, type of hat you want to sell, whatever the case is, right? You want to promote it. 
Can you require, does that mean you can require people to buy your product, to wear your hat, to listen to your CD? No, that would be stupid. It's a promotion. You may promote something that you believe in, but that does not equal the right to require or mandate people to use it or to have it or to do anything. Promote and require are two totally different words with different meanings. Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution is the second place that we see that term, but you need to listen to where it is. In Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution, we see that Congress has, uh, give me one second, I'm, my lighting is changing as the sun is moving here. Okay, let's see if this helps us. Okay, that helps a little bit here. All right. Uh, Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution says that Congress has the power to, this is a quote, power to lay and collect taxes, duties, imposts, and excises, to pay the debts and provide for the common defense and general welfare of the United States. But all duties, imposts, and excises shall be uniform throughout the United States. That is the sentence. So where in that sentence would it give the government or Congress specifically the right to uh, impose any requirement in under the guise of public welfare? Doesn't. That term... If you look at the sentence as a whole, it's talking about to financially support. We're going to collect these taxes so that we can turn around and financially support the um, common defense and general welfare. So we can pay for the financial needs uh, of the people, not to mandate individuals to do or not do something. That is not at all what is stated there when it talks about the general welfare of the United States. And in fact, it's the general welfare of the United States, not the general welfare of the public in terms of how the Supreme Court has skewed that meaning throughout uh, many decades. Uh, we also need to look at what did the word even mean at the time the Constitution was written? That's how they are supposed to interpret the Constitution. They're not supposed to make up new meanings or come up with new things as time goes on. We need to look at the British Dictionary because that is actually what would have been in place at the time that this was written. And it defines the word welfare as to provide for, uh, to supply a means of support, especially financially. So again, the whole context, the sentence itself, the word uh, as defined back at the time that it was written means to financially support the constitution, uh, excuse me, the, the general welfare of the people. So there is no constitutional basis for the government, any branch, to be able to require or mandate anything on the basis of the general welfare of the people. If you look at the Michigan State Constitution, and if you're not in Michigan, I urge you to look up the term welfare in your own state constitutions, keeping in mind that even if your state constitution allows for the general welfare of the people to be uh, you know, equated to regulations upon the people, 
that state constitution cannot stand in that regard. You cannot have something more restrictive upon the people in the state constitution than you can uh, or than, it, than is allowed in the U.S. Constitution. So the term welfare in the Michigan state constitution appears only three times, okay? It is uh, section, uh, article four, section uh, 50, 51, and 52. Now, just to give you the context, article four is talking about legislative powers. That immediately tells us that the judicial branch has absolutely no authority to do anything with regard to the public welfare because it's not even regarding uh, their powers that the term is even being brought in. Same thing for the executive branch. The uh, the chief executive, the um, governor or anyone in the executive branch, MDHHS director or anyone else, does not have the authority to do anything with regard to welfare given the state constitution because only the legislature is specifically given this authority. So Article 1, Section 50, 51, and 52. If you look at that, uh, those three sections, you'll see, uh, well, the legislature uh, has the authority to regulate regulate the use of atomic energy. Okay, that's for the public welfare, um, for the protection of air and natural resources. That's for the general welfare. And uh, Section 51 says that uh, the... Um, the public health, this is this is the language of the actual uh, portion of the Constitution, the public health and general welfare of the people of the state are hereby declared to be matters of primary public concern. Okay. But then it continues by saying that the legislature shall pass suitable laws for the protection and promotion of the public health, not for the public health and general welfare. It says, hey, listen, the public health is important and general welfare is important, uh, but legislature, we're going to give you the authority to pass suitable laws for the um, promotion of the public health. So it expressly is excluding the ability to make laws just to protect or promote the general welfare of the people. So what about safety? Well, we got to keep each other safe. We're in this together. We got to keep everybody safe. You know, everybody stay safe. And honestly, that term has been perverted so much. When somebody tells me that, when I call a business uh, and, uh, you know, they hang up at the end by saying, okay, stay safe. Really? Did you tell anybody that when, you know, you were worried about the flu a few years ago or, you know, when we had swine flu or H1N1 or, you know, when anthrax was, you know, what about after 9-11 and terrorist attacks were, you know, something that we feared and were, you know, worried about? Um, any, any kind of situation where the people of the United States have been at risk, did you hang up every phone call saying stay safe? It's been perverted. And quite frankly, uh, the, per the term public safety as used in the Michigan and U.S. Constitution shows even more limits on our government's authority to act. The term safety only appears 
once in our U.S. Constitution, just once. And it's in the context of suspending the writ of habeas corpus. It does not allow for any kind of regulation or mandates or anything for the public safety or for safety in general. Not at all. It allows potentially under rare circumstances for the suspension of the writ of habeas corpus if the public safety shall so require. If you're in times of war and you have an accused um, terrorist and uh, you know there's a threat that there's a nuclear bomb that's about to be set off by this individual and you have to try to figure out how to you know, make sure this thing doesn't detonate, um, okay, you, you might suspend holding a court hearing and bringing the person forth uh, to have their due process rights, um, you know, heard out uh, while you're trying to dismantle this bomb. Okay, that's an example of why the U.S. Constitution says you can bring up the term public safety. That's it. And the Michigan Constitution uh, does use the term safety six times, but in three of those instances, they're not even talking in the context of public safety. Uh, you can look those up. I, I have all of this that goes into much more detail in my, uh, I think I printed the first page of this. This is, um, yeah, so my, the brief that I filed on September 16th, 2020 in the Michigan Supreme Court uh, in that Midwest Institute of Health case against the governor that we uh, argued, uh, I believe we argued it on September 9th, and then I submitted this uh, additional or supplementary brief on September 16th, and then the court subsequently issued its uh, decision on October 2nd. Um, this is where you'll see all the references to all these. So I'm not just me making it up. You can go double check me if you want, uh, where I specifically point to these parts of the Constitution, or you could just dive into the Constitution yourself to see if you can find what I'm talking about. But of the six times the word safety is used in the Michigan Constitution, only three of them are even talking about public safety. Uh, one of those three is talking about the writ of habeas corpus, just as the U.S. Constitution. Another time they are talking about, again, the protection of air and other natural resources. And the third is uh, giving the state government the right to own property, to own real property, to have a building and land for the benefit of public health and safety. So they could have a uh, state police post or a public hospital. Okay. Uh, so the state constitution allows the government to own property for the benefit of public health and safety. That's it. So that's safety. So nowhere in there does it say, well, we're allowed to mandate vaccines or any other kind of regulation on you just to protect the public safety. Doesn't say it anywhere in the U.S. or Michigan constitutions. The term health. This is all about the public health, right? Public health experts, public health. This is a health expert. This is our, you know, Dr. Janae, whatever her name is. I can't even remember anymore. Um, any of these individuals. Right. The MDHHS director, Michigan Department of Health and Human Safety, Human Safety, Health and Human Services. Um, where does it say the term, the word health in the U.S. Constitution? Yeah, it doesn't. 
It doesn't. It, it, it literally the word health is nowhere in the U.S. Constitution. So there is no constitutional basis for the government to exercise authority relating to public health. Not a thing. But you can even look at the Michigan State Constitution. The word health does appear four times in the state constitution, but only three of those are talking about public health. And uh, two of those times, they're talking about protecting natural resources for the public health. And like I just mentioned for the term safety, uh, it's also the term health is used uh, to provide the authority for the state government to own real property to have land and buildings uh, to promote the, and benefit uh, public health. So they can have a municipal hospital or a Department of Health and Human Safety where uh, human health and human services, where you can go and have, you know, some sort of testing for a communicable disease or something like that. Not a requirement, but it would allow them to have a building where services could be provided and offered to the public. Uh, so the remaining, the last time that public health is referenced would be in Article 4, Section 51 of the state constitution, which requires that regulation for the protection and promotion of public health, that regulation must be suitable and done exclusively through the legislature. No executive branch action can be taken. No uh, uh, delegation of that authority. You can't have MDHHS making their own executive orders. You can't have any kind of other board or agency because it must be the legislature that is doing this. And those requirements uh, or regulations must be suitable. Well, among other things, respecting our constitutionally protected liberties including the liberties that remain unenumerated, um, that would be part of the requirement of being suitable. It's not suitable to enact legislation under the guise of public health if it violates the Constitution. Okay, so that brings us to Equal protection of the laws. We are seeing these vaccine mandates, these mask mandates, these vaccine passport things, everything related to these COVID vaccine or, or COVID uh, regulations upon the people, that they are being applied in such a way that we are being denied, outright denied, equal protection of the laws. You cannot be discriminated against on the basis of your vaccination status, on whether you want to breathe fresh air or not, on whether you uh, have, um, you know, a, a medical device that assists you in your breathing, and you cannot put a mask over your face, uh, or your religious beliefs um, say that you cannot hide behind something such as a mask, or that you cannot live in fear uh, and try to use masks to uh, to um, you know, protect you when you know that uh, that's not what God has intended us to do. Mind you, now the CDC has once again come out and said cloth masks do absolutely nothing to save you or protect you from coronavirus. So mask mandates, let's think about that now. Um, 
the disposable ones that say right on the box that you have to dispose of them after that individual short-term use, and people don't do that, those are totally ineffective and, in fact, carry diseases farther. Uh, and the CDC is telling us, again, that the cloth masks are ineffective for coronavirus, uh, something akin to a chain-link chain fence trying to keep out the mosquitoes. Uh, that leaves you only with medical grade masks that are not mass produced enough for the whole population to be wearing them in the first place, let alone can people afford them on a regular daily basis to be wearing them constantly appropriately uh, as would be required by true OSHA requirements or common sense. So um, equal protection of the laws. Uh, with regard to that, I want to point out that the... 14th Amendment, the Section 1 of the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution says, nor shall any state deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. So not only are you not supposed to create a law that discriminates against people, you're not allowed to allow private organizations. So Costco, Menards, uh, Sam's Club, whatever, they cannot require something that is discriminatory and have you, the government, sit back. No, what this says is not only can the government not create uh, a disparate uh, impact in their, their laws, but they have to create laws that protect individual liberty and that protect uh, individual liberty in an equal way so that one business or entity cannot infringe upon the personal liberties of others. That's the government's job that brings us back to why government was created in the first place that we already talked about. Uh, then it says in the 14th Amendment, uh, excuse me, I skipped. Article 1, Section 2 of the Michigan State Constitution, nor shall, uh, no person shall be denied the equal protection of the laws. So most, if not all, states have a provision that also says that. Um, so yet you see people that have generally poor health or uh, simply individuals who are prone uh, to suffer the ill effects of a typical Michigan winter. Uh, there's now uh, laws on the books in Michigan that the Republicans and Democrats uh, in the legislature and the governor signed on to saying that if you have any of the symptoms of COVID, which are the same symptoms as COVID, uh, as the common flu and of the common cold, um, that uh, which the Mayo Clinic and all these other, you know, the CDC, the FDA, uh, who they all talk about, you know, what the main top symptoms are and they are in a line with um, uh, the, the the flu and the common cold, if you have any of those symptoms, if you live in a northern climate and get a runny nose in the winter, uh, and then that leads to a sore throat and you start coughing or anything like that, your liberty to go to work is now impacted because there's a state law in the books that says you can't do that. Uh, so uh, the government, the state legislature, is certainly not allowed to do that. Okay. Um, we have the right to peaceably assemble that is guaranteed to us in both the U.S. Constitution and the First Amendment and the state constitution of Michigan, Article 1, Section 3. And this, uh, these vaccine mandates and these mask mandates are both working together uh, to do the same thing. If you, can't, if you haven't had this vaccine, then you have to stay out of the public. You can't go in public and, and be a part of this 
concerts or go to this venue or be in this store or do anything as a collective. You don't have the right to peaceably assemble. They can't do that. They cannot deny you the right to peaceably assemble. Um, we also have the right to follow through on our business contracts without any government interference. And you might say, well, there's a lot of government interference with different OSHA requirements or things of that nature. And to that, I would say I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole right now other than to tell you, yes, there are a lot of rules, regulations and laws on the books that are insanely unconstitutional. And it's time we stand up to all of it. Just because they have enacted an unconstitutional law over here and we've been okay with it so far doesn't mean that they get to then enact this unconstitutional law over here. That's not how this works. Um, when it comes to that part of impairing contracts, uh, we have to look at where that comes from. The U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, also the Michigan State Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, is what guarantees our right to have the government not impair our contracts. And that means contracts that we have between employees and employers, uh, between one business and another, such as in the supply chain, uh, between businesses and their customers. Um, and again, the language is fairly similar between the two here, that there no state shall pass any law impairing the obligation of contracts. It's pretty simple. So at this point, it's important that we also note way back in 1971, the Michigan Supreme Court said in Walsh, versus the city of River Rogue, that the restriction on the right to assemble or prohibiting the right to carry on businesses licensed by the state of Michigan involves the suspension of constitutional liberties of the people. It, in effect, suspends normal civil government which the state constitution, Article 4, Section 39 says, you can't do that even in times of emergency. So keep that in mind. Um, two last points I wanted to share with you today, I think, three. Um, cruel and unusual punishment. We've heard of that. What does it actually say? The Eighth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution says that cruel and unusual punishments shall not be inflicted. Article 1, Section 16 of the Michigan State Constitution also says cruel or unusual punishment shall not be inflicted. Well, is it not cruel and unusual punishment to prohibit an employee from working for weeks at a time because they have the common cold? So the government's supposed to just step in and pay their bills? Where that, where's that money going to come from if we have less and less people in the workforce? Injecting the American people, injecting the people of the state of Michigan, injecting our children with experimental gene therapy that has never been studied for its potential to cause cancer, for its potential to mutate our genes, our DNA, or to impair the ability to have children and impact other reproductive systems. 
never been studied to force our children, to force us to be injected with this, with this experimental crap. Is that not cruel and unusual punishment? We also, in the Constitution, have the right to be free from bills of attainder, essentially to be free from being punished without a trial. And it, this is really important because in the U.S. Constitution, they put it in there twice, almost back to back, in two different sections. Article 1, Section 9, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution says that no bill of attainder shall be passed. Article 1, Section 10, Clause 1 of the U.S. Constitution says that no state shall pass any bill of attainder. So it already was talking about not having a bill of attainder, but it put it in there again. And of course, states such as the Michigan State Constitution, Article 1, Section 10, no bill of attainder shall be enacted. So what is a bill of attainder? The Black's Law Dictionary definition that has been adopted by courts interpreting this clause says that a special it is a special legislative act prescribing punishment without a trial for a specific person or group. So you are, uh, as the unvaccinated class of individuals, you're going to have to have your star on your shoulder wear your star on your sleeve, and then you are going to be treated as second-class citizens and you are going to have your rights stripped from you. You are going to be punished without a trial, without there being any sort of uh, proof beyond a reasonable doubt that you have committed any crime with any kind of intent. You are going to be punished. So where is the trial to prove that if you are unvaccinated or not wearing a mask or don't have a microchip later on, because that'll be coming too if we don't put our foot down now, where is the trial to prove that you, you as an individual person, actually and intentionally uh, infected any other person with a deadly virus? There's a lot of different pieces to that sentence that haven't been proven. Where is, where is the trial where the government has the burden beyond a reasonable doubt to prove that you actually harmed another human being by simply existing in a public space or in a privately owned business that is open to the general public. I'm hoping that you now understand why something as singular as a vaccine mandate might sound so great for public health, safety, and welfare, but the government doesn't have the authority to regulate us for the public health, safety, and welfare. And by doing so, they're not only violating uh, the, the notion, the, the requirement that they get their permission specifically from the Constitution, that we the people delegated to them before they act in any way, but that they are also violating spe specific provisions of protection that are guaranteed to us in the Constitution. 
the right to equal protection, the right to due process of law, the right to uh, be free of cruel and unusual punishment and bills of attainder. Um, so, um, and, and that's something I, should, I don't want to understate too, too simply, that we have the right to be free from, uh, to be not deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. The state of the U.S. Constitution has that not only in the Fifth Amendment, but in the Fourteenth Amendment. And the Michigan State Constitution has that in Article 1, Section 17, and most state constitutions have that in their Declaration of Rights or some other provision as well. So with that, I want to circle back and um, I want us to think about the language of the Pledge of Allegiance, okay? I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic, government of the people where the people retain the power, to the Republic for which that flag stands. One nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all, not some collective. Where our rights are meant to be exercised undiminished, unrestrained, unabridged, uninfringed, unviolated, undenied, undeprived, unabused, unusurped. where we need to think about what we are doing and how we are going to take our freedom back, how we are going to hold our government officials accountable all the way up to the president of the United States, to Congress, to the United States Supreme Court, if they don't decide this case correctly, how we are going to secure our liberty to secure our blessings of freedom undiminished to ourselves in our posterity. So please take a look at those three resources I gave you. Think of this in the context of the biblical passages I gave you uh, where we need to um, elect government officials and judges who are going to decide justly, where we are uh, not going to allow justice to be perverted where uh, we are going to follow justice and justice alone, where we must obey God and not men. We obey the system of government that we set out that was ordained by God, not the men and women who are perverting the language and the meaning of the words of the Constitution, who are stepping aside, um, outside of the bounds of what they are allowed to do, what they are given the authority to do. I hope that you are going to accept my challenge 
as simple as it is to look up your municipality, even if you're politically active, just take a minute, take that step back, take five minutes even, and Google your municipality, go to their official website, look up the charter, look at where you could see what ordinances are on the books, um, what committees and boards even exist in your community, uh, when the meetings are, how can you participate in them if you want to, how can you find the minutes, the agendas, and who the officers in your local community are. Um, and to think about some of these uh, points that the um, opposing attorney was arguing against me on Sunday, he said that, you know, the Constitution is there for the common good, that you, you shouldn't uh, be allowed to worry about having the inconvenience of getting this experimental gene therapy that our government is about we the people, not I the person. There's no individual liberty here. That um, I don't believe in government at all because I wholeheartedly and fiercely believe in our individual liberties guaranteed to us by God, uh, where the government's sole purpose is to protect those liberties. He believes that government should and can put you in jail if you don't get the COVID or any vaccine. And in his words, the constitution is not a statute. It's just a set of general principles that we follow. No. If you know more than that, if you were listening to this presentation this week, you already know more than that attorney does. So dig into those parts of the Constitution. And uh, if you can, uh, and you want to support us financially, uh, please donate through our website. You can see the address where you can mail a donation, where you can um, go online and pay through um, you know, Square or PayPal, uh, where, um, you know, there's information about the things that we've been working on all this time. And uh, we haven't updated our website very recently. So hang in there with us as uh, my husband balances remodeling uh, a 1949 house for us to live in while being the uh, main lead to the tech team. Um, so I ask for your, um, your grace in that. Uh, your prayers as we do this freedom fight. But um, most of all, I'm going to leave you with, um, with the words of Emma Christine Henry, seven years old, about to turn eight on this Saturday. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all.